when you look at the post-Diluvian giants, uh, like you mentioned, in the land of Canaan when Joshua fought, the, fought those wars, um, in Genesis 14, we see a list, the Anakim, the Zamzamines, the Emims. Right. I trace their lineage back to Canaan, who of course was the grandson of Noah. Welcome to the Tipping Point Show. I'm Jimmy Evans. It's so good to have you with us today. Listen, I've got a very special interview today with Ryan Peterson, and we're talking about his book, about the Nephilim. I know a lot of you are very interested in that subject. Before we go to that interview, let me just say, we have our conference coming up September 16th uh, this year at Fellowship Church in Grapevine, Texas. Pastor Ed Young is the pastor there. He's also gonna be a part of the conference as well as Dr. Tony Evans, Rabbi Jonathan Kahn, Dr. Mark Hitchcock, Billy Crone, myself. We're gonna have a fantastic day of learning about the end times. I want you to be a part of that. Go to endtimes.com. You can get your ticket there. If you're a paid subscriber to endtimes.com, you get a 50% discount. And by the way, this year we have reserved seating, so you can get the exact seat that you want and reserve it for you as a couple, your friends. We also have people bringing groups from churches, and if you're bringing a group of 10 or more to the conference, you get a 40% discount. And so as you're checking out on our website, endtimes.com, just go on endtimes.com and find there where it says the, the, uh, the conference. As you're checking out, just put in TP group and that code will automatically give you a 40% discount because we have a lot of large groups coming from churches. Can't wait to see you there. It's going to be a great time, but go on. You can see we already have some sections closed off because they've already filled up. So we have like a 4,000 seat venue. So we have a room for a lot of people, but it's going to fill up. We want you to be a part of it. Uh, go to endtimes.com and sign up for the conference. And so it's my pleasure today to have Ryan Peterson joining me. Ryan is a Bible researcher with, uh, with an emphasis in ancient Hebrew thought and theology. He received his BA from the University of Rochester and his JD from Columbia University Law School. Ryan is author of Amazon number one bestseller, Judgment of the Nephilim, a comprehensive Bible study of Genesis chapter six, the Nephilim and Fallen Angels in the Days of Noah. He's also the author of The Final Nephilim. That's gonna be the next show that we do, the sequel to The Judgment of the Nephilim, which provides a comprehensive study of the return of the fallen angels, the Nephilim, and the rise of the Antichrist in the end times. These are all very important topics to our, all of our viewers, and I know that you're interested in that. Today, Ryan and I will be discussing his book, The Judgment of the Nephilim. Ryan, thank you for joining me. Jimmy, thank you so much for having me. Great Blessed to, to be you. here. Well, you're a lawyer. And so, and you're a very smart lawyer and you're a, you're a man of God. Amen. And so you, these are the book that you've written here, the two books, we're going to talk about the return of the Nephilim in the next program, talking about the Antichrist. I know you'll be interested in that. The judgment of the Nephilim, now this is so well thought out. And we were talking before the show that uh, you're, you're just a, you're a student of the Bible and you became interested. You were kind of looking at some end times sites and you became interested in the Nephilim. And you just started drilling down in it. So, so why did you do that? I mean, what, it, what was it that interested you in this subject? Well, really, it's the story of our redemption. Genesis 6 really has the story of our salvation in it. And once I understood this, what I call the supernatural interpretation of Genesis 6, then we right. talk about the Nephilim, that these were fallen angels, the sons of God, the Benaiha Elohim, as they're detailed in Genesis 6, that they were fallen angels who took human women as wives married them and their offspring, the Nephilim, were hybrid, half fallen angel, half human hybrids. And this was all a part of trying to prevent the birth of Messiah. 
That it, it, that this was the what you know the cosmic chess match as it's called between God and the devil, the forces of good and righteousness versus the forces of evil to try and prevent salvation. That it really opened up my understanding of the Old Testament of salvation and of God, right? All of a sudden, the reasons for the flood take on a whole different life. Right. It's not the actions of the quote unquote Old Testament God who's angry and irrational. No, it was a rescue because the devil was using the Nephilim to try and really corrupt humanity to make it something other than image bearers of God to prevent a human savior from being born. And then again, you can look at the wars in the book of Joshua in the land of Canaan, where yeah. the Israelites are told to go in and exterminate whole civilizations, women, children. Why would that happen? And really, you know, coming from New York City, where I'm from, you know, originally, I've been in many conversations with people who know the Bible, but are Bible skeptics. And the first two common questions they'll bring up to challenge the Bible are, how could your God, if he was so loving, flood the whole world and yeah. wipe out 99% of the human population? Yeah. Or how could your God go into the land of Canaan and, and, and order genocide? Well, when you understand Genesis 6 and what was really happening right. with the Nephilim, you realize this was an act of love and salvation to protect the last remnants of humanity and ensure our salvation. So going back to Genesis 3, uh, this is the seed war. And uh, you know God declares, you're gonna nip at his heel, he's gonna crush your head. Your seed will strike his heel your, my seed or his seed will crush your head. So in Genesis chapter 3, God is declaring there's going to be the seed of man that's going to come to redeem mankind. And you're going to try to stop it, but he's ultimately going to win. So this, so this is all a seed war. This is all about Satan coming to corrupt the line of the Messiah, the, the, the you know, messianic line. So what you're saying is in Genesis chapter 6, by the time that God flooded the world, Satan had succeeded and corrupting through the Nephilim, through it corrupting the seed of man, except for knowing his family. Is that right? Exactly. And in fact, when you look in Genesis 6, you see three times the testimony from God is that all flesh had corrupted itself before him to the point that it says God regretted even creating humanity. And then the other key clue we see in scripture is the, is the introduction of Noah. Because right. when we see Noah, it says that Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. Right. And that Hebrew word for perfect, tamim in Hebrew, doesn't refer to moral perfection. Of course, we know Noah was not morally perfect. But he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He found grace. He needed grace because exactly. he was perfect. Exactly. And he, exactly. He needed it. Yeah. However, that, that perfection he had was a physical perfection, that he was still 100% genetically human. And in fact, that term tamim is used also for the sacrificial lambs used in the, in the Levitical law, that they have to be without blemish, tamim. So his genetics were still without the blemish of the Nephilim. So he was, I believe, the last believing man on earth who was purely human. And that's why God chose him right. to restart the human race through his lineage after well, the Let flood. me ask you a question, because Genesis 6 says, there were giants on the earth in those days and afterwards also. So one of the questions that we get a lot here that, that I, I, I answer, I wanna make sure I'm answering it correctly, <laughs> is so where did the second group of giants come from? So that when, uh, when Joshua went into the promised land, he wasn't dealing with the group of giants that were flooded. They all died, all flesh died, right? Correct, yes. So, so where did the second, so the, the fallen angels came down uh, and they made a pact that they were going to you know have children with human women. They succeeded. God judged it. They did it again. So where did that second group come from? Where did the, where did the second group of Nephilim come from? 
The DNA of the Nephilim passed through on the ark. And I think there's biblical evidence to support that. And what I point to in Judgment of the Nephilim is, is several things. There's several factors. The first thing is that when you look at the post-Diluvian giants, uh, like you mentioned, in the land of Canaan when Joshua fought, the, fought those wars, um, in Genesis 14, we see a list, the Anakim, the Zamzamines, the Emims. Right. I trace their lineage back to Canaan, who, of course, was the grandson of Noah. In fact, when you look even at the wars in Canaan, uh, in the land of Canaan uh, that Joshua fought, it, it's a targeted war. God named seven nations that are mightier right. than these, and they are all the descendants of Canaan. I believe what happened was that the DNA passed through through the wives of Noah's sons, particularly the wife of his son Ham. And the other interesting detail about this that we can find is, is in the lineage of Noah's sons is that when you look at the genealogies of the patriarchs before the flood, of course, lifespans were expanded at that right, time. Right. Most men had their first son when they were about 60 to 70 years old. Right. However, when you get to Noah, he doesn't have his first son until he's 500 years old. That's right. So why does that matter? Because by the time we know he boarded the ark at 600, and so God, so by the time he had his first son, God had already given the 120-year probation where he told Noah he had 120 years and he was going to judge the earth. So Noah waited till after that warning came from God and he was already preparing the ark to have his first sons. And we know from scripture that all flesh had been corrupted. So the odds at that point when his sons were marrying age to find Three women to marry his sons, who all, and none of them have any trace of Nephilim oh, that's DNA. That's very interesting. Was slim to none, yeah. and so and then you look at Ham, who we know from later chapters didn't really care about the prophecy, God, salvation, because he, I don't, you know, he was a sinner. He was right. very, or a rebel. Right. Right. He wouldn't have worried about marrying a woman who had that Nephilim DNA. Wow. And I think that's where it manifests, and I think that's also the reason why, when we get to Genesis chapter nine, and there's this uh, sinful event with Ham and Noah in Noah's tent. Noah comes out and doesn't punish Ham. He curses Canaan. And I believe that curse of Canaan was because Canaan was already de de demonstrating that he had the genetics of the Nephilim in him. Wow. That's amazing. So let me ask you another question. because So you were talking about, in your book, you talk about how long they lived and how many children they had. Okay. So there was a long period of time before the flood. How many people, I heard, I heard someone say, that they thought that there could have been over a billion people on the earth when the flood happened. Have you ever thought that through? Have you ever, I mean, not the specific number, but there were a lot of people. Yeah, I would agree. If you look again, you know, even when they talk about Adam, the first man, you know, he living to be 930 years old and having many sons and daughters, you know, the amount of children a single couple could have, they could have dozens of children because again, because of these prolonged lifespans. So I would agree that the earth's population was in excess of a billion people uh, before the flood. So God came and the earth was corrupt before him. And that, that's what it says. And so he flooded the earth. Again, they came back again. And the whole attempt there was, and you were talking about in your book, Pharaoh, why, why he caused the firstborn to be killed. Uh, why Herod did the same thing again. Talk about that, son. Yeah, sure. So again, that, you know, this goes back to Genesis 3.15. You know, we mentioned it before. I call it the ultimate prophecy. God told the devil that his conquest was going to come by a human child. 
A, child, a human would, would be born one day, not a mighty angel, not God, Yahweh himself. It was going to be a child. So he had his target. And so what I try to challenge the reader to do is consider it from the fallen angelic perspective. Because after all, that's our true enemy, that's Ephesians right. 6. That's right. And so the strategy was anything to prevent this child from being born. So this is why when you get to the Exodus, uh, you know, to the early chapters, why Pharaoh who, of course, is a pagan king who wears a crown with a serpent coming out of his forehead. So this wow. is someone who's under massive satanic influence. He has satanic wizards, Johannes and Jambres, yeah. in his courts with yeah. real occult power. So this was a highly satanic kingdom. Yeah. And man, he was under, I believe, satanic inspiration to say, cast all the male Israelite babies into the Nile wow. River to try and prevent the birth of this Messiah. Wow. Well, inherit the same way. Exactly, of course. And, and, and uh, right, right. And, and every time, the amazing thing about this account is when you trace it, so many times humanity's on the brink. I mean, this is at the birth of the Lord that Herod is now trying to commit another genocide against the children, the male children of Israel. And so, of course, obviously, Mary and Joseph yeah. fled by God's grace to again preserve us. I think one of the reasons I love your books and I love what you're saying is it helps you understand everything. You know, there's so many things in the Bible that if you don't understand this, it just doesn't make any sense. So talk about the first family of the Nephilim. Who was the first family? This was the family of Lamech. And then this is this is Lamech through the line of Cain. There's some similar names in the early chapters of Genesis, but there's a Lamech who is the who is the seventh generation of Adam through Cain, who of course was the wicked son of Adam and Eve. And what you see in Genesis 4 is the lineage of Cain and Normally, when you see a genealogy in the early chapters of Genesis, it's very brief. You know, Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac begat Jacob, one son after the next. And but there are certain portions that I call a special reference where in a genealogy, you might find two verses, three or four verses devoted just to one biblical figure. In Lamech's case, there are six verses devoted to him. Wow. And I believe what the Bible is telling us here is there's something infamous happened in biblical history with this person. So pay attention. And when you get to Lamech, you start seeing all the clues for, I believe, his family was the first family to, to initiate this marriage with the fallen angels. The first thing we see is he was the first polygamist on record. Right. Genesis four records he had two wives, Ada and Zillah. So he violated God's marital covenant of one man, right. one woman eternally cleaved. Then he we see he boasts to his wives about killing a man and then says that he and then mocks God by saying if Cain would be invaded sevenfold, right. you know, mocking the grace God promised Cain. Lamech 70 and sevenfold. So he was a rebel, clearly against God. And then when you look at his children, not only we see a description of one of his sons, we see three and we see a technological explosion. And I believe this is what took place. There was a transaction of forbidden knowledge in exchange for a woman's hand in yeah. marriage. And you see his three sons, Jabal, he was the father of animal husbandry and tent making. And again, in the ancient world, these are revolutionary technologies. Right. Jubal, the father of music, of instruments. You know, the, he created musical instruments. And, and even the Jubilee, the, holiday, the, the, the the feast of the Jubilee, the celebration on the Jewish calendar is the, the, the root of Jubilee goes back to his name. Wow. And then you get to his third son, Tubal Cain, who was the father of blacksmithing, making tools, right. weapons, all things for man to be self-reliant and conquer the world. And then we get this interesting detail that it says the sister of Tubal Cain was Nama. And I believe that that sister, Nama, was the first bride of a fallen angel and mother of a Nephilim giant. Wow. That, that is amazing. 
So um, talk about Mount Hermon versus the Jordan. What's the difference between those? Yeah, sure. Well, you know, in the book of Enoch, uh, obviously one of the most popular apocryphal book on the account of the Nephilim, it points to uh, Mount Hermon as the landing spot of the fallen angels who committed this sin. But uh, what I look to is, you know, what I submit in in, in my writing is consider the Jordan River. Because when you look in in, in Scripture, I call the Jordan River the Area 51 of the Old Testament. Because <laughs> there are so many That's supernatural yeah. events that take place there, right? We see a preview of this in Genesis when Abraham and Lot are dividing the land. Right, that's right. He says that Lot looked to the well-watered plains of Jordan, and it was like the Garden of Eden. Right. So already the Bible is saying there's something supernatural going on here. And I point out to the number of supernatural events that take place there. You can look at uh, Jacob. Uh, when he saw the ladder with angels ascending and descending, that was in Bethel, the house of God, due west right. of the Jordan River. Right. The prophet Elijah, he was on the run from Queen Jezebel. He went to the brook Cherith, which is a brook of the River Jordan. Hmm. Their ravens supernaturally delivered him food. They brought him meat, and they're, they're carnivores, and they delivered him food at God's command, of course. Again, Elijah went back to the Jordan River when he was caught up to heaven in the chariots of fire. It was at the Jordan River right. that, again, we see this intersection of yeah. the, the, the divine realm and the human realm at this river. Naaman, the Syrian military leader, of course, had leprosy. The prophet Elisha said, dip yourself in the Jordan River seven times. And he comes out clean and a believer. And then I point to uh, the most famous uh, account of supernatural activity at the Jordan River is the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ, where, of course, he's baptized by John the Baptist. And what do we see? The Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. And by the way, Jordan, the name Jordan or Yardan in Hebrew means descent or the place of their descent. So even the Hebrew root reinforces this idea. And when the Holy Spirit descends like a dove on him and God the Father speaks audibly from heaven to earth saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. So again, we see this supernatural portal. So what I submit is that I believe that the Jordan River uh, as the location where this descent came, took place of these fallen angels in Genesis 6. And after all, it's called the place of their descent. So the fallen angels, according to Enoch, came to Mount Hermon. Hermon means oath. And so Mount Hermon means Mount of the Oath. And I think there was 200 of them, according to Enoch. And he says they, they took an oath there to populate the earth with human women. The interesting thing there is, Ryan, uh, when the children of Israel came in the promised land, it was at the foot of Hermon, where all the giants were. When they went into the spot, this is this is where the giants were. And so they ultimately, do you believe that uh, through Israel, all the giants were wiped out? Or do you think that there were some scattered around the world? I think there was there were some scattered around the world. I think all the I think all of the giants in the promised land uh, were wiped out by by the Israelites, the final ones by David and his mighty men. But yeah. even when we look in the book of Joshua, uh, they tell, you know, we see that they said that some of the giants fled to Gaza, Gath, and Ashkelon, and they didn't pursue them. And well, there have been giant bones dug up. Uh, Catalina Island, uh, the Indians report giants and everything. In fact, one, someone said that the reason that Indians do how is because they want to make sure you just have five fingers. <laughs> you know, because they, they reported having giants with six fingers. 
Exactly. And this is and this is why we see these accounts. And this is the amazing thing when you understand Genesis 6. All of a sudden, all of the mythology That's of right. other cultures, That's right. we realize is reality. So when you right. see like you uh, the, the accounts of giants in other parts of the world, I believe it's because they were the remnants who fled from the promised land yeah. during the wars in Canaan. And, and all over the world. I mean, they're, Absolutely. they're 10, 12 feet tall people. So talk about the Assyrian, because I'm very interested in that. On the next program, we're going to be talking about the Antichrist. Talk about the Assyrian and what your thoughts are on the Nephilim account related to that. The Assyrian was the biblical name for the angel who led the Genesis 6 rebellion. Really? And was the preeminent angel. The book of Enoch calls him Azazel. And so, and what I point to is... His rise and fall is detailed in a chapter of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 31, is what I call an esoteric passage. And this is a passage where uh, the, it's addressed to a king or a prince or a ruler, but God is truly speaking to a fallen angelic being. The most popular examples we see are Isaiah chapter 14, where it says, Lucifer, right. son of the morning, right. this is aspirations, right. I'll be like the most high. And then Ezekiel 28, where it's, to, it's addressed to the prince of Tyre, but it says, thou has been in Eden, the garden of God, yeah. clearly speaking of the devil. That's right. Just go three chapters over and you see this reference to the Assyrian in Ezekiel chapter 31. And it talks about this king who had this mighty kingdom and God uses, compares him to a tree. Very similar to what we see of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4, where he's, he has a dream of a tree, and Daniel says, that tree is you. Right. And all its branches and its might represents your power. And it describes him being in the Garden of Eden and having all the other angels envying him. And it speaks of his offspring and having all the nations under his shadow. So it's very similar to what we see in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. And the, the clincher of everything is, it says that when God judged him, it says he judged him with the floodwaters and dragged him down to the nether parts of the earth. Oh, wow. The exact punishment we see detailed of the fallen angels in Jude uh, verses 6 and 7, where it says the angels who, who committed fornication in the days of Noah are locked in the abyss in chains That's under right. darkness, the nether parts of the earth. And what I, an even more startling connection is it actually gives the specific timing of the punishment of the fallen angels in Ezekiel chapter 31, because God says through the prophet, he says, in that day when I punished you and sent you to the nether parts of the earth, it says that the floodwaters were restrained and abated. And so when you go now back to Genesis chapter 8 and see the chronology of the yeah. flood, it says after 150 days, the floodwaters were restrained. It uses the exact same word from Ezekiel 31. So how do we know this connects to this angel in Ezekiel 31? There's 150 days. Well, fast forward to Revelation chapter 9. In the, at the fifth trumpet, when the abyss is now opened, and the bottomless pit where all these angels have been imprisoned and are still imprisoned right now when these Genesis 6 rebels are released. Right. And they're described as these locust beings. When they return, they're disfigured, they're hybrid, they have a face of a man, hair of a woman, teeth of a lion. They now torment, it says they torment the unsaved world, those who don't have the seal of God in their foreheads for five months, which in the Hebrew calendar is 150 days. Oh, wow. So they were tormented in the days of Noah for 150 days by the floodwaters, then dragged to the abyss. And when they were released, they now torment the unbelieving world for the same amount of time. Wow. Hey, listen, to see the rest of this interview with Ryan Peterson, I want you to go to endtimes.com 
and become a subscriber, $7 a month, $77 a year. Not only do you get the entire interview today and the Tipping Point show every week, the entire Tipping Point show, you get Dr. Mark Hitchcock's podcast that comes out typically on Thursdays, Marking the Times. It's a phenomenal podcast. All of our articles that come out all week long, breaking news. Endtimes.com, $7 a month, $77 a year. It's an absolute bargain to get the information that we provide. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today.